Well, good morning. This is Dwayne from Directional Bible Ministries. Today is May the 31st. Hope that you guys are doing well today. Uh, good to see you, Scott. Hope you're doing well, brother. Um, <clears throat> looks like we've got the first two days of summer. Uh, got up in the mid-80s here in Lynchburg, Virginia. Thought winter would never end, so it looks like summer has finally arrived. Um, today we are going to continue our study in the book of Acts, Acts chapter number seven, Acts chapter number seven. I hope you guys are doing well. I got my youngest son with me for a couple days, so it's always good to see your children. You hate it when you see them when they grow up and leave you. <laughs> uh, it just makes your time with them that most, much more precious when they come back to say hello. But uh, it's been a good weekend, it's been a very good weekend. I've been uh, I appreciate your prayers. Uh, my trip last week to Houston, Texas uh, went very well. Uh, very hot in uh, Houston. Uh, I'm glad you like my shirt there, Scott. It's, uh, it's warm weather, so it's time to break it out again. Uh, but the uh, trip went well. Um, taught at Calvary Christian Fellowship in Kingwood, Texas. And um, it was their Memorial Day service. Uh, and it went well. I really, really enjoyed it. I got to meet some folks I haven't met in years. Uh, all of them attended the church that I pastored in South Texas for 10 years, from 98 to 2008. So I had a couple drive up from um, Harlingen, Texas, which was about a five and a half, six hour drive, I guess, for them. And then had another couple come in from San Antonio, which was a mother and daughter and their children came in from uh, San Antonio, Texas, and then um, and then the, the, the pastor on staff there was their son, is their son, Zeke. So um, it, was a, it was a real good time. So I appreciate your prayers. It went well, and <clears throat> so far I seem to be COVID-free. <laughs> um, everybody had on uh, <clears throat> masks in the plane and most of them did in the airport, but it was certainly enforced on the plane. And of course, the church was um, practicing social distancing. They had put out a lot of chairs so that everybody could spread out. And, and um, <clears throat> I shared that. So you're welcome to take a look at that message that I taught. It was a great time. It was a quick trip. Flew in on Saturday morning. Flew out on Monday morning. Also got a chance to see my sister and her daughter. Haven't seen them in quite some time either. But uh, it was a good time. So um, let's go ahead and um, hope you guys uh, like the new format. It's a little different. Uh, I'm still learning the technology, uh, how to do everything. Um, I think last time I tried to do something, I forgot to turn the volume down on the music. So I appreciate the heads up there, uh, Scott, uh, letting me know that. Uh, but, um, but anyway, I've been studying through, I've been in Acts chapter number seven. And um, we're just going to go ahead and pick up there real quick. I think I covered like the first several verses last time we were together. But let's just for context, uh, keep looking at that real quick. Okay. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verse number 1. Then said the high priest, are these things so? And he said, men and brethren, fathers, hearken. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Sharon or Haran. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
Let's say a word of prayer. Father, we love you and do ask that you go before us today. Bless the reading of your word. Continue just to open our eyes. Remove the filters that uh, we tend to place there and that we may see uh, what you would have for us today. And Father, I pray that you'd open our ears that we can hear. And most importantly, our hearts to understand and do uh, what we learn. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, these verses are interesting in that they go beyond Genesis chapter number 1. I think I mentioned this last time. Genesis 1, uh, we're just told that, and now the Lord God said unto Abraham, get thee out. Um, but Stephen goes on to say that the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. So that means that God actually appeared in um, most likely human form. Uh, which when God appears in human form in the Old Testament, we call that a theophany or pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Uh, some people call it a Christophany, uh, but it's an appearance of Christ Christ uh, prior to his incarnation. Um, Stephen, as we'll see, um, is reviewing Israel's history beginning with Abraham and how God in the past had consistently prepared the nation for their coming king and kingdom. And he's going back and he's looking specifically at Joseph and Moses to show them um, how God had prepared them for this very event. Uh, then he says in verse number four, which uh, I don't know why I skipped verse number three, and he said unto them, Get thee out of thy country, thy kindred, come into the land which I will show thee. Uh, then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. The King James says Sharon, but it's Haran, and from thence when his father was dead, he removed him into this land wherein now in ye dwell, and gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as set his foot on, yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when he had no, as yet had no child. Um, so the point is that God made a promise to Abraham that had not yet been fulfilled in Abraham's lifetime and of course we know that just that Abraham had to believe that by faith and then notice in verse number six and God spake on this wise that his seed would sojourn in a strange land in other words the descendants of Abraham of which he didn't even have at that time would sojourn or stay or, or pass through a land and, and they should bring them into bondage in that land where they're going to stay. They're going to be brought into bondage. And of course, that's talking about the Egyptian bondage and entreat them evil for 400 years. And that's how long the Egyptian bondage lasted. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that, they shall come forth and serve me in this place. So this is speaking of the bondage that Israel endured in Egypt for 400 years. And of course, God judged the Egyptians when he delivered uh, the Israel, Israelites out with a high hand. As you remember the text in the book of Exodus, he delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians under Moses. And of course, God used the plagues as a way to do that. Um, and then notice in verse number nine. Good morning, Marissa. I hope you're doing well. Um, in verse number nine, and he gave him a the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob 
And Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs, and the twelve patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him, and delivered him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all of his house. So this speaks of the betrayal of Joseph's brothers in selling him into slavery. And you'll remember the story. Joseph had seen the, the dreams and the sheaves were rising up and bowing down to his sheaf. And he saw the sun and the moon and, you know, and, and the brothers, you know, are we going to bow down to you? Are you crazy? And, and of course, it ended up happening exactly that way, as we'll see in the story here. Uh, so Joseph's brothers, and of course, we know the story of the the coat of many colors that uh, his father had made for him. I mean, he was showing a little bit of nepotism in regards to Joseph and the brothers became jealous. And we know the story as they went out with the sheep and, you know, the father wouldn't let Joseph go out with the sheep because he wanted to keep him at the house to make sure he didn't get hurt. But after the brothers didn't return, he sent Joseph out to, to find the brothers. And you remember the brothers had went down into Dothan and um, thank you, <laughs> Marissa. I like this shirt. Um, they went down into Dothan. And, uh, of course, when Joseph came looking for them, you know, you little snitch, you know, uh, you come to spy on us and you're going to go back and tell Dad. And, of course, that's when they, they threw jo uh, Joseph down into the cistern and ended up selling him. Uh, and, of course, he ended up in Potiphar's house in in Egypt. So they sold him into slavery where, you know, as you read through uh, the Old Testament, you find through a series of events, he ended up being the governor over, over all of Egypt. Now, this is where I, for me, this is just kind of new. I mean, my eyes have just really been open. Stephen, when you, when you understand what's going on here, the kingdom is still on the table. Uh, the king is still being offered and Stephen is showing them how Joseph was a type and a foreshadowing of how Israel had also sold its redeemer not knowing who he was um, so Stephen this story or this narrative that you know he's not just delivering a history of Israel just for a history of Israel's sake he is showing them how Joseph and Moses were foreshadowings and types of Christ and how each of them delivered Israel. You know, Joseph delivered Israel um, from starvation. Moses delivered Israel from physical bondage. And he's showing them that that's exactly what Christ came to do. Uh, again, it just changes your entire perspective when you start rightly dividing and, and seeing, you know, the context and not trying to read something. That's why when I pray now, I say, God, remove the filters because we have these filters. And, and most of us, unfortunately, most people do not study the word of God to show ourselves approved. Um, most of us just sit under someone. We listen to what they say and we take that as truth. Um we have got to learn how to question assumptions. You know, there's a lot of things that <clears throat> we assume in Scripture uh, that aren't correct. Uh, we just assume it because that's the way we've always been taught it. Um, 
And I just encourage you to do that. I mean, it'll it'll totally, uh, the, the blinders will be removed. The filters will be removed when you realize what's going on in this first several chapters of the book of Acts. And we'll talk about that today, as a matter of fact, as we keep going. So here we see, in verse number 11, now there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and great afflictions, and our fathers found no sustenance. So there was this drought that came in over the land, and the people began to starve. And notice he says, and our fathers. Who is Stephen addressing here? Who was Peter always addressing here? Our fathers. He's speaking to Israelites about the nation of Israel. Um, now, the only way you can assume that he's talking to the church is if you make the church Israel, which by the way, is what most of the church does today. And uh, it's incorrect. The church is not Israel. The church will never be Israel. Uh, Peter and Stephen are speaking to the nation of Israel about a king and a still offered kingdom. So, and great affliction, and our fathers hadn't found no sustenance. Verse number 12, but when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Good morning, Jesse. God bless you, brother. This is when Jacob sent the remaining brothers, as you remember, to get the grain in Egypt because the drought that the land was going through. Now, bear in mind, the brothers had already sold uh, Joseph into slavery. They just presumed, assumed that he was dead. Um, because you remember they brought back the coat of many colors and they dipped it in the animal's blood and they told the father that he's dead. Of course, they had known that he had been sold into slavery, but they had no idea that Joseph had made his way down into Egypt and now was like the governor of Egypt. So the dearth was in the land. And, you know, we see in Genesis 42, verses 1 through 3, And when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look at each other? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy from for us from thence that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Now notice it says ten brethren because Joseph was gone and, and he wouldn't allow Ben to go. Ben had kind of replaced um, Joseph. And then in Genesis 42, 8, and Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And notice that Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. It reminds me of John 1, 11, where it says, he came into his own and his own received him not. They had no idea who he was. Uh, there's another verse in John, uh, John, let's see, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was nothing made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Comprehended it not. Uh, the NAS says, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Uh, look at that. But the darkness has not understood it. In other words, they didn't know who he was when he came. And that's the same thing that happened with Joseph's brothers. They had no idea who he was 
but he knew who they were. Okay, he knew who they were. Later we find that Joseph could not restrain himself any further, and he revealed himself to his brothers. Uh, you remember in Genesis 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood before him, and he cried and caused every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. You remember Jesus wept as he looked down over the city that did not know him. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you, and come. And they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother whom you sold into Egypt. In the same way, Israel did not recognize Jesus as their Redeemer. But one day they will recognize him as their Redeemer. And he will say, come near. Um, you know, that's prophesied in Zechariah chapter number 12. And I will pour upon the house of David <clears throat> and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day shall there be great mourning in Jerusalem as the morning of Hadadrimmon in the valley of Megiddon. And the land will mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David apart and their wives apart and the family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. In other words, one day Israel will realize just as Joseph's brothers did who he was. Uh, in Zechariah 13, 6, and one, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So Stephen is making an attempt to show the nation that what their forefathers had done to Joseph, they had done to Jesus. But as we've already mentioned, they did it in ignorance. They did it nigger, and that's very important as we've been trying to establish uh, that you understand that the nation did it in ignorance. In other words, it was not premeditative murder. They did not know who he was. Uh, in Acts 3.17, And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it as did also your rulers. I know that doesn't sound like much of a big deal, but it is. And we've talked about how in the Old Testament, when you were throwing stones over the hedgerow and your neighbor's walking by and the stone clocks him and kills him, um, it was not premeditated murder. So therefore you could flee to the city of refuge where you would be able to find safety because you did it in ignorance. But of course, if you did it premeditatively, it was life for life. So it's important that we understand that it was in ignorance, as we discussed. Had they known who he was and done what they did in total knowledge, God would have brought judgment down on them immediately. Jesus even said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. Interestingly enough, Stephen will later utter similar words as they are stoning him. 
in Acts 7, verse number 60, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So again, the key is ignorance. He asked God to forgive them for their ignorance. Again, this is very important. If not, according to the laws of murder, Israel would have deserved destruction. The law made it clear <clears throat> that if someone knowingly premeditatively killed someone, it was life for life. Um, and, and Paul even mentions this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, are complete, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, what they did was in ignorance. And as a result, God was able to offer them grace. The church or the body of Christ was actually, or the raising of the Apostle Paul, was actually grace. That's why you and I live in the age of grace. God decided to show grace, not necessarily just to the Gentile, but he, just, he showed grace to the nation of Israel. And we see it further here in this next verse. Look in chapter, in verse 14 through 16. Then sent Joseph and called his father to Jacob to him, and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls, seventy-five souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. Now again, notice who is he addressing? He's still speaking to the nation of Israel. Don't put the church there. He's not talking to the body of Christ. And I'll show you later. I'm convinced there is no body of Christ at this point. So Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, him and his fathers, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Hamar, or Hamer, Hamer is how it's pronounced, the father of Shechem. Now, Joseph showed his brother's mercy just as God was about to show or was still willing to show Israel. And as we'll see in a little bit, through the very man that would oversee uh, the stoning of, of, Steve, of Stephen's stoning, which was Saul. On another interesting note, this burial place in Shechem, it's just historically, it is, it is holy in all three faiths. And understand, um, there's three faiths, and all, all the faiths, all the other faiths come out of or evolve around Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, and of course, this cave, uh, or Machpelah, it contains the bodies of Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Rebekah, and eventually, when the children of Israel were delivered up out of the bondage of the Egyptians, Joseph was carried back and buried there as well. So that brings me to one of my rabbit trails. <laughs> um, when you talk about Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, you need to read a book by Henry Morris, and it's called The Genesis Record. 
um, it would probably make the list of not the most politically correct books in the world uh, today. Um, because what he does is he looks at the descendants of, of Noah and his three sons, specifically in this part of Genesis. Uh, in Genesis uh, chapter 6, verse number 10, And Noah begat three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the reason I'm talking about that is, is because the three world religions that we have today come from these three boys. Okay, In Genesis 10, we have what is called the Table of Nations, uh, which describes where each of these sons and their descendants settled after the flood. So it's just, it's one of those chapters that you're just very tempted to... Um, just skim over and not read, you know, one of those genealogy, genealogical chapters, you know, so-and-so begot this and begot that and begot that, and we kind of get lost in all of that. But the table of nations in Genesis 10, now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. And if you read it, he begins to show where the sons of Japheth settled, where they went. And then where the sons of Ham and his descendants went. Okay, and he just goes all the way down showing, and we call this the table of nations. Every people group on the face of the earth goes back to this table of nations. Because bear in mind, when Noah stepped off the ark, it was just him and his family. So yes, we can all go back to Adam and Eve, but more specifically, we all go back to these three sons. In short, if you study that, Shem's descendants are known as were no, are known as the Shemites, and they settled in what today is known as the Middle East. Okay, um, when you and then it is felt that through Shem's descendant Joktan came the Orientals, and through his descendant Peleg came the Asians. But thus, all Jews, Asians, and Orientals are considered to be Shemites. Uh, Ham's descendants are known as Hamites, and they settled in what is today known as Africa. And that's where Henry Morris really starts digging down, start making people uncomfortable if you want to read the book. And then Japheth's descendants are known as Japhites, Japhites, and they settled in what is today known as Europe. So all of us come from one of these three boys, Shemite, Hamite, or Japhite. All of us come from these three boys. Um, even linguistics, um, I was talking, you know, a lot of missionaries will, will major in linguistics. Um, they know that through Shem came the Semitic languages. Through Ham came what's called the Afro-Asiatic languages. And through Japheth came the Indo-European languages. But even religiously, through Shem, out of the Middle East, specifically from the Jews came Judaism and through Ham came Islam and through Japheth came Christianity and it goes on and on it's just such an interesting study I would encourage you guys to study that when you when you get a chance just it just goes on and on some will even point to the fact that through Christ the plan to redeem man back to himself of course came through the nation of Israel, but they'll also point 
uh, to the fact that as you look at early Acts and the conversion experiences that took place happened to a Shemite, a Hamite, and a Jephite. For example, in Acts eight thirty six, in in Acts eight twenty six through thirty seven, we we see the conversion of the Ethiopian unit eunuch. Well, where was the Ethiopian unit from? From Africa, Ethiopia, that area. That that means he was a descendant of Ham. And then in Acts nine one through six, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and of course Saul was a Shemite. He was Jewish. And then in Acts 10, we have the conversion of Cornelius, and he was a Roman centurion, which means that he was European, which means he was a Jephite. So just very interesting, that book. When I teach through the book of Genesis, like I used to at the at the Bible college, and even at the high school level, I would ask them to get that book called uh, the Genesis Record by Henry Morris. I think you guys would really enjoy that. Now, look in verse number 17, rabbit, rabbit trail concluded. Um, and when time came of the promise, and the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. And of course, that moment that was drawing nigh was their deliverance from Egyptian bondage in verse 18, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. And the same dealt subtly with our kindred and evilly entreated our fathers so that they were cast out of their, out their young children to the end they might not live. So hard not to notice here. Again, Peter is still addressing the nation of Israel and we are all the way into Acts chapter number 7. The only Gentiles in sight at this point are proselytes, people who have been proselytized into Judaism. No Gentiles, no body of Christ. The only Gentile so far in Stephen's narrative is the Egyptians. Okay, and the Egyptians, you know, type foreshadowing is a type of the world. Um, so again, Stephen is addressing the nation of Israel. And then notice in verse number 20, in which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house for three months. Now, the word exceeding fair does not mean that he was a pretty baby. I've, I've heard so many people say that, you know, Moses was a beautiful baby. Uh, the translations say that he was lovely in the sight of God. And it's not talking about his physical appearance. Others like the, the NIV says he was no ordinary child. In other words, there was something special about Moses. So when it says, you know, that he was exceeding fair, it just means there was something about him um, that was special to God. And of course, what that specialness was, was God was going to use him to deliver the Israelites out of the hands of Pharaoh. And notice also that by comparing scripture with scripture, we're filling in a lot of gaps that the Old Testament does not mention. I mean, things like he's exceeding fair or the Lord appeared unto Moses. Those are things that we would not know if it were not for the New Testament. The, New, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed 
and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You cannot correctly interpret the scriptures without comparing scripture with scripture. So we're filling in these gaps with the Old Testament that, that the Old Testament does not mention. And Paul will do that a lot as well in his epistles. Now notice in verse number 21, And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. Again, this is information that cannot be gleaned from the Old Testament accounts alone. He, as a son of Pharaoh's daughter, he was second behind Pharaoh himself. Now, I'm sure there was a problem. There might have been, a, I don't know who else was there, but I mean, just from that, I mean, if he's the son of Pharaoh's daughter, then that puts him in line to the throne. I mean, he was obviously highly educated. He wielded much power in not only words, but also in deeds, it says. And if you pay close attention, and I, I'd never caught this before, if you pay close attention, you'll see that Stephen divides Moses' Moses's 120-year lifespan into three 40-year periods. He talks about his first 40 years in Egypt. Then he talks about his second 40 years on the backside of the desert. Of course, that's when he got married and he was tending the sheep and and then he saw the burning bush. And then his final 40 years of leading the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. Now notice in verse number 23. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Now, some will say that, that when Moses went out the first time here, he was moved to deliver the Jews, but he was not called to deliver the Jews. Now, something I um, have taught, there is a difference between a burden and a call. I can be burdened by a lot of things, but that does not necessarily mean that God has called me to do anything about it. I mean, I can be burdened for this people group over here. And if I move on that burden, then I'm moving in the flesh. Now, if God calls me to do something and I go, then I'm moving in the spirit. You see, Moses here is moving in the flesh. Okay. Um, and when you move in the flesh, flat flesh begets flesh. Okay. Um, so just because you're burdened does not mean that God wants you to do anything about it. Too many people move on burdens today and not calls. Uh, I've talked to numbers of pastors that say, well, I have a burden for this. Okay. Well, has God called you to do anything? Well, no, not really, but I have a burden. You know, well, God will oftentimes turn those burdens into calls. Uh, if we move on burdens, flesh. If we move on calls, spirit. So notice that what he tried, that he tried to deliver them, but they understood not. Again, Stephen is repeating Israel's history for a reason. It's not just story time here. Just as the people did not understand what Moses, that Moses was there to deliver them, so too 
the vast majority of the Jews that Stephen was speaking to did not understand that Jesus was there to deliver them as well. They didn't understand that. Every word out of Stephen's mouth was trying to show them who Jesus was. My computer is asking me some strange questions here. There we go. Every word out of Stephen's mouth was trying to show them that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah, their long-awaited deliverer, just as Moses foretold. And Moses told them this in Deuteronomy chapter number 18. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. This is Moses speaking in the first person in here. Unto him ye shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise up, uh, they, the, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, this is God speaking to Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of them. So again, Stephen is showing them through the life of Moses how that God was using Jesus to deliver them as he also used Moses to deliver them. But notice what it says. And they understood not. And so too the Jewish nation understood not. And of course Israel had already rejected and crucified him in ignorance. But Stephen is telling them that it's not too late. And that's where so many get lost today. The kingdom offer is still on the table. Stephen and Peter are still exclusively addressing the nation of Israel with the kingdom offer. It takes me back to Acts 7.13. In Acts 7.13 it says, and at, that, and at the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren. So too here. They are being given a second opportunity to accept their Messiah and his offer of a kingdom. Now, you could say, you know, the first offer was given by Peter. And the second offer is being given by Stephen. So they're being given a second opportunity. If they had, the Lord would have returned seven years later. That's why we call it the second coming. First coming, he's crucified, he goes away, the kingdom is offered. Had they received it, Daniel's 70th week and the second coming. That's what coulda, woulda, shoulda happened, but didn't happen. We're at my time here, about 45 minutes. Um, let me just, let's just look at two more verses and then I'll wrap up for today. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, 
your brethren, why do you wrong one another? Now, this is Moses when he tried to deliver them in the flesh. But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away and said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? So back to Moses, when his deed was discovered, they said, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? That is the same thing that the nation said when Jesus offered to be their king. You remember in John chapter 9, 19 and verse number 15, notice what it says there. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest said, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Stephen is bringing on the heat here. He is accusing them just like Peter did. He's accusing them of killing their Messiah. And they are treating Jesus just like they treated Moses, just like they treated Joseph. And then look in verse 28, and I think I'll conclude because I've got a deep section I'm going to go into down here on the bottom. We'll hit that next time. Uh, in verse 28, wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then fled Moses at the saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons of so this. And then, and when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in the flame of a fire of a bush. So again, Moses' life, his first 40 years in Egypt, his second 40 years on the backside of the desert, and then of course his final 40 years as he, as he leads them out of Egypt. So another, we enter the second 40 years of Moses' life. But make no mistake, what Stephen is doing here, just like Peter was doing, he is showing them uh, unequivocally, this is your Messiah. What are you going to do about it? A clear, yes, God, a crystal clear indictment. What are you going to do about it? This is the Lord. This is the second opportunity, just like Joseph appeared a second time. This is a second opportunity at the mouth of Stephen. Now, some would say, well, no, the first opportunity was, was prior to the crucifixion. Well, I don't embrace that because prior to the crucifixion, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not here. It's not on the table at the moment. It wasn't officially offered until after <clears throat> the crucifixion and resurrection. So, again... I mean, that's, that's a lot. We've been together now for about almost 50 minutes. So next time we get together, we'll get down into verses 31 and 32. Uh, and it goes into <clears throat> when Moses saw uh, the burning bush. And again, just bear in mind, all of this is Stephen indicting the nation of Israel as to who Jesus is and what are they going to do about it. Now, we know historically what they did about it. Israel rejected it. They rejected it. And God raised up the Apostle Paul, and he went to the Gentiles. So, uh, anyway, just very interesting. It's good to see you guys today. God bless you. Let's see. Um, Chris, good to see you, brother, out in Texas. 
And Scott, God bless you down in South Carolina. Jesse's in Texas. Marissa is in Peru. I believe Marissa's still in Peru. So um, God bless you folks. And I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you enjoy the study. And um, later on today, after this is all up, I'll put my notes over on DwayneSpearman.org. Take a look at that. I'll also put the audio up on SoundCloud if you want to listen to it. You can download that SoundCloud app to your phone if you just want to listen to the audio version. And I uh, got a friend out in West Texas. He bounces around oil fields. And uh, yeah, he can't exactly watch a YouTube video while he's bouncing around in his truck. So uh, he listens on that. Matter of fact, I probably have more listeners on SoundCloud than I do anyplace else. So, But um, anyway, it's all there. I hope you study it. I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, thank you again. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.